I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Today, I'm talking with my friends Noelle Rhodes and Alana Kuabara. We are taking a deep dive into family culture. This week, you'll hear part one of the conversation, and next week, we'll be dropping part two, so be sure to tune in. Before we get started, though, I quickly want to remind you about the One Word for the Holiday Season Worksheet. It's designed to help reduce the stress and overwhelm of the season by walking you through how to set your intention for the next few weeks. And then from there, you can make decisions that will allow you to truly enjoy your time with your loved ones this holiday season. Head over to buildyourbestfamily.com for your free copy. Now, over to this week's Friends Talking Family. Today, we're going to be talking about what I'm calling the five traits of a happy and healthy family. And what we're really talking about is family culture and drawing upon those principles that create a family culture. And for those of you who have listened to the podcast before, you know that I truly believe those things that help an organization and a business be successful the things that help them have a healthy and thriving culture that causes them to succeed, those same principles can cause your family to succeed. So we're going to talk about some of those characteristics or traits and how we have applied them to our family, whether we have done it intentionally or accidentally. And yeah, just share with you some of the results we've seen and what we feel makes a happy, healthy family. So family culture, a lot of people understand the word culture in terms of a broader sense, but they're not sure what it has to do with family. And so I like to just say that it is the DNA of your family. It's what makes you, you, it is what people can expect when they stop by your house unannounced. It's what your kids can expect when they come home. Um, after a long day, it is what family members can expect. People know what they're going to get because your family culture is a result of the way you handle problems, how you interact with people, what you believe and what you value. And when those things are done over and over and over again, it creates a culture. And so there are some things that we can do over and over and over again within our family to actually create a healthy culture for our family. So Noelle, why don't you share with us one of the characteristics that you think contributes to a healthy family culture? Well, I think a big one is, you know, the people in your family actually enjoy spending time together. It's kind of an important thing to have a healthy, happy family culture. And it's obvious when that's not the case. Yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think that if you notice that you're all really just very snippy, kind of mean, sarcastic, not really listening maybe not really connected, finding reasons to not be together, that should be a little bit of a red flag that maybe you need to, you know, tap in and see what's going on with the family culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we as parents can create opportunities for especially our children to enjoy one another. And we can be intentional about creating opportunities to spend time with one another. I think that a lot can happen organically in our home, but some Mm -hmm. of our best moments are when I put it on the calendar and I make it happen. And there have been many times when I start to see us getting snippy and we're not getting along. And I'm like, Oh, 
we haven't been together having fun in a long time. Like, and then I put it on the calendar, but doing it ahead of time and having a rhythm of opportunities available for us to enjoy each other's company. I think that really sows incredible seeds into our relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And the more you do it, the more that bond is going to grow too. And cohesiveness is another one of those characteristics. I, I looked it up and it is the quality of forming a united whole. And what I love about this is that, you know, as you spend time together as a family, right, you, you become like at one, like an entity. And I've had the pleasure of doing a few things within our community. I've talked about this before on the podcast. My, my husband and I, we ran the TREPS entrepreneurship program at our kids' school and our kids got very involved in that. My kids took the classes and then as they aged out of the program, they helped out with the classes and they were there for setup and breakdown of the marketplace. And what has, what I love is that when the principal went around thanking all of the volunteers. He didn't call me by name. He didn't call my husband by name. He said the Amici family. And we we kind of are a package deal and people mm-hmm. know that. And so I, I love that though. Mm-hmm. Like I love that when somebody has a, a soccer game, we all show up. Like you don't get to just stay home because now you're old enough to be in the house by yourself. When somebody has an event, we all go if we can. And, you know, I'm kind of bummed when, you know, they say parents only. <laughs> so I'm like, right. my kids want to come. They want to support one another. And so that idea of cohesiveness, <clears throat> where we, we begin to become a whole is really important, I think, for people to see. And it, it makes us, it creates that sense of belonging. For sure. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm constantly battling perfectionism but I'm the type of perfectionist that procrastinates if it can't be perfect I'm not the type of perfectionist who has a perfect home (laughs) so let's be clear about that so something that's helped me is realizing that those moments where you can capture cohesiveness where you can spend quality time with each other don't have to be long Mm-hmm. They can be just to stop what you're doing. And my kids are 10 and seven. So just stopping what they're doing, getting down on their level and listening to whatever little thing it is that they want to tell me for that. It, it could sometimes be 60 seconds and then they run off and they're back in their own world. But I made a switch in the way that I thought about that spending time with my kids a few years back to where, because we're, we're always very busy. So just to know that I can have this kind of sacred moment with my kid for 60 seconds. And I have, even if I have a day where we don't sit down and cuddle and watch a movie, but I have a lot of little ones like that throughout the day, they know that, Mm. you know, it, it keeps that cohesiveness going. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Yeah. And that's a rhythm. You can create that rhythm because it's not just a one-time thing Mm -hmm. saying, oh, we're incredibly connected. It's that small, consistent steps over time that really helps to firm that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alana, do you have a a characteristic for us? Well, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Having shared values and interests which 
those are those are kind of two different things. But I think that we can teach our kids more than we than a lot of parents sometimes feel like we can. Now, I have tried to get my kids into gospel and they just won't do it. And it's it's very upsetting to me. And they know that they've disappointed me in that area. Gospel music, <laughs> not the gospel. gospel. Right? No, gospel music. No, okay. they accepted Jesus Christ. <laughs> to help them in that area but you can in the same way that you can like teach an audience you know start to kind of teach an audience what are the ways that things go and what's funny you know you can teach that to your kids and so we've really my husband and I've really taken that kind of approach where you know we're going to watch this movie and this is a funny movie and kind of like explain to them our sense of humor so that now, yeah. So that now they've got that sense of humor and there we can all laugh at the same things. But I think where, where maybe if you didn't start out that way, you know, when I look into some of my extended family, we don't all have the same. Uh, values and interests but what you can do is you can find that (laughs) the nucleus um, the you know the what's underneath those interests where you can find points of commonality Mm -hmm. and kind of camp there you know but I think that when you have shared values and interests it everything we've already talked about just kind of locks in together you have that cohesiveness and you're able to spend time enjoying each other because you enjoy the same things and you understand, you know, your value, the value of what you're doing, the why, but all of these are things that you have to teach your kids. Mm -hmm. They're just not just going to magically somehow get on the same page, no matter how much you model it. I think you still have to, to do some teaching there. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of sharing your values with your children is identifying them. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we always take the time to identify them mm-hmm. and think about how we're going to communicate them and choose intentional ways and choose intentional language and choose in- intentional lessons of how we're going to share that with them. We had, we went through a, a time where my husband started saying, you know, we're kind and generous. And it became like a catchphrase in our house. And if I heard the kids not being kind and generous, I would say, hey, kind and generous. We're kind and generous. And I think having that, when you identify those things and then you um, attach them to that team, like, you know, a Michi family, that team kind of dynamic, like this is, we're a family who does this. We're a kind and generous family. We even put it on, we have one of those letter boards. We put kind and generous on the letter board and not in a way of like beating anybody down with it, but as a, as an encouragement, like this is who we are. I think values too influence the tenor of interests. And, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that you've tried to get your kids into gospel music because I've been trying to get my kids into musicals and theater and all that stuff forever. And they're not doing it. 
no matter what. They're just not doing it. They're not into it. They're they don't disobedient. Care. They don't even like Hamilton. It's very upsetting to me. Horribly disobedient, rebellious children. Anyways, yeah. but one thing is it a value in our family is that we are very enthusiastic people. It's one of our, our values is being enthusiastic to whatever we show up for. So if my daughter who plays tackle rugby is in a tournament, well, the three of us are showing up and we're bringing that value of enthusiasm with us. We're going to be the loudest to cheer her on. We're going to, we're going to be excited to be there. We're just, we're bringing that value to her interest, even though it's different from mine, nobody else plays tackle rugby. The same thing is true with my son is really interested in baking and he's, he bakes every day of his life. And so not all of us are great in the kitchen, but we bring our enthusiasm to his new recipes and things that he's working on and, you know, recipe books that he's highlighting. It's just, it's a great thing to remember that your values can be brought into anybody's interest, even if they're not shared, but the values when they are shared, it's that tie that, that kind of connects you to the other person's interest and, you know, recreational activity. I love that. I love that idea of injecting your values into their interests. That's great. Yes. I love that. That's amazing. Which leads us to the next one, which is an expected pattern of activities. You know, a a, a healthy culture has an expectation of how we are supposed to behave. And again, this isn't about perfection. It isn't about getting it right. Isn't it about acting a certain way? It's even, it's not even about like looking like you're, you know, have it all together. This idea of an expected pattern. So, you know, Noelle, you mentioned bringing that value and being enthusiastic for our our siblings. I mean, heck yeah. I don't have to like baking to love your cookies and eat them every time you make them. And, you know, for us, like I mentioned earlier, you know, my kids expect if you don't have other plans, you're coming to the game. And our family you know, much like I'm sure yours, like you're expected to go to church on Sundays. You're expected to be present for, you know, family meetings and to put your phone away at the table. Like there are certain expectations. And when people follow them, it creates safety. It creates, you know, especially kids. And even I just feel like in these days, like I just need to know what to do. I just need mm. to know there's an expectation of me. I just need to know what comes next. And mm. I think that's a, a real big sense of security for kids to know what's expected of them, to not be making every decision on the fly. I mean, I know for me, I'm feeling definite like decision fatigue and I have to go back to like, what are our values? What are our standards? What is expected from me and from the kids? Because it's exhausting making every decision on how I feel that day at that particular time and this season. Yeah, it's just too much. And I just love the comfort of that expected pattern. I think you do a really good job though. I mean, just, you know, we're friends. We live in the same state. We get to hang Mm -hmm. out together. I think you do a really good job at communicating the expectation and the pattern of activities. You're really good at like letting everybody know this is what's happening this weekend. And I, you know, I know you've, you've used like different, like practical tools to help you do that shared calendars and stuff like that. But I think the reason why you're so successful and one of the things I want to get better at is being able to communicate and remind everybody, this is what's happening. 
And mm-hmm. if you've got something else different planned, now's the time to speak up or forever hold your peace because you're common. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got teenagers who do have different schedules sometimes. So I think you do a really good job at, you know, communicating what the plan is. Yeah. For sure. Alana, you're up next. Give us one. Okay. Interpersonal connections that are stable and predictable, even in difficult times. You know, we have this thing that we do every night. So our kids used to fight over who got to pray, do the like the night prayers at bedtime. And so finally we were like, we have to figure this out because this is annoying. So not for any holy reason, just because it was annoying. So my daughter does Monday, Wednesday, Friday. My son does Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then my husband and I trade off on Sundays. And then whoever's turn it is to pray, that's whose room we do it in. And that's also who brushes their teeth first. Okay, see how we've... An expected pattern of activities. But so at the end of, of all of that, uh, drama, we always say, I love you. Jesus loves you. And so we have this, Mm. this thing where you always say goodbye. When you leave the house, you always say, I love you. You always say, and we didn't even tell them you always say Jesus loves you, but they just, it became such a pattern Mm -hmm. that we were getting off the phone with my mom the other day and and they said to her, we love you. Jesus loves you. (laughs) I love that. And, you know, it's, it's so far, it's not something that has become stale or anything. It's something that has meaning every time. And I, so I I just think having that foundation of love, having a foundation that King Jesus, who died for your sins, loves you, the father in heaven loves you, you're safe, you're secure in that love. To, to me, that's the starting point mm-hmm. in difficult times. We've been through a lot of difficult times in the last number of years that, you know, without getting into all the details, kicked off with my daughter going into the hospital with croup. And then a month later, my son having a febrile seizure mm-hmm. while we were in another country. And mm-hmm. then just a year of many close family and friends dying and it's just been wild and it hasn't it hasn't been good up until very recently when of course you moved to Florida and you're living in paradise and you suddenly can't <laughs> complain about anything except the humidity but the the we were able to maintain uh, stable, like stability and predictability with our kids, we kind of like you circle the wagons, right? When, mm. when times get tough yeah. and it's always been very important to me that our kids know they can come to us with anything. You know, I really work on my reactions to some of the things that they come to us with. And so that they know that I'm a safe person, not only a safe person to come to, but I'm the best person to come to. And daddy's the best person for you to come mm, to. And good. we're always going to love you. 
we're always going to listen to you, not going to try to cut you off, tell you what you need to do, you know, boss you around in that moment. Yeah. So, so I think that that's what we've tried to do is lay a foundation of love and trust and also set ourselves up in their lives as the most loving and, and trustworthy people that they could ever Mm. even think of to go to. That's awesome. I love that. I love you and Jesus loves you. That's, that's so powerful. I'm going to steal it. Yeah. Take it. I'm going to take it it around my kids tonight before they go to bed. I love it. You know, as the resident mom of teenagers here, I, I think that this is really important because Mm -hmm. as we navigate, as I've navigated my kids and their hormones and their mood swings and the world is going to end at every situation they find themselves in every (laughs) friend that excludes them. I've had to learn not to react Mm. or to get triggered by their rejection of me Mm. in that moment. I think that has a lot of, and, and I think that a lot of being able to maintain that is getting to know ourselves, understanding our triggers, getting healing and wholeness from some of the things that maybe would cause us to be triggered or cause us to react in a way that's unkind. Because I think for me, the one thing that I've always wanted my kids is I never wanted them to not know what they could expect from me. Mm, Like I didn't want them to wonder if one day mom's going to be okay with this and the next day she's not, or is my mom going to understand today and then not tomorrow? Is she going to like lose it on me? Like later, I wanted, I didn't want to be unpredictable. I didn't want to be swayed by, and I'm not, I don't have this down perfect by any means, but some of my best parenting moments have been when I act the complete opposite Hmm. of what would come natural, the complete opposite of what I want to do. And I'm screaming on the inside and I go, (laughs) oh, all right. You know, like, <laughs> or That's I'm holding, or I'm even holding information back that I just found out about my daughter. Cause I'm going to strategically with a smile, share it with her leader. Like, like <laughs> these, <laughs> but I want her to know if I, if she calls and she's had something to drink and yeah. she doesn't have a ride home, that I'm not going to lose my you know, what on her in front of her friends, but I'm going to pick her up and I'm going to love on her because she made the right choice instead of getting in a car with someone else that's drinking. So creating that safe space by being predictable and, and, and knowing, deciding ahead of time, how I'm going to deal with some things. You can't always guess some of these things you're going to go up against, but yeah, that, that predictability and stable connection where she, you know, sometimes I like to surprise her. I mean, I surprise her with how I respond. I'm I'm much gentler and kinder than she expects. And so that just has made our relationship better. And it's made her the person that she, that that I'm the person she wants to come to. And so it takes practice. It takes, you know, getting healing and health and being self-aware. That's really good. This is a, this is such an important characteristic that I think it's almost more important than any of the other ones because, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up, you know, my parents were born again, Christians, first generational Christians, amazing parents. 
And now I'm pastoring a church, I'm in ministry. And the thing I hear a lot from folks, and I get it, is the reason why they walked away from church and Christianity is because their parents were one way in mm. church or around people and then another way at home. Wow. And I think this can be so applied to, to even the fact that who we are needs to be who we are, you know, mm -hmm. and having that response, like even, you know, Kimberly, you're saying like, if your daughter drank too much and she called you and you had the response of going, picking her up and treating her with love and kindness, you know, how many do, how many stories do I know of people whose parents just flip their lid because you've embarrassed them, but people find out like it becomes how it makes them look. And mm -hmm. instead of taking that moment to love and show grace and teach and lead and, I'm sure, there, I'm sure there are consequences. It's not like <laughs> yeah. you're just going, oh, yeah, drink as much as you want, honey. I'm your, I'm your private Uber. But <laughs> I think that the fact that you're consistent in your response is what is so, it really actually models the heart of God. He is the mm -hmm. same today, yesterday, and forever. And we're not going to get it perfect. Of course not. But if mm -hmm. we can be not hypocritical and we can like, you know, be who we say we are, mm -hmm. that really is going to speak volumes into our kids' faith. And yeah. they're definitely going to be like, you know, my parents weren't perfect, but they were real. Mm. And I think that's, that is so just so valuable. I just, I love what you both shared about this. And it's just, it's really highlighting for me how important it is to just be predictable in the good and in the bad. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, Noel, give us one. Yeah. This last characteristic is, you know, something I think we're working on as a family. And, and it's not because we're, you know, terrible people, but we're learning to be people who know we can count on each other. It's not just for the big things. It's like the little things and little things can be like, I can count on you to take the garbage out when I say you're supposed to take it out or when it's you know supposed to be out so that we're not having to drive it to the dump. And I know that sounds so small, but this is the kind of stuff that can, <laughs> mm -hmm. that can um, affect your family culture, but also the big things which we sort of touch on a little bit in, in our last characteristic, but knowing that when tough times happen, that particularly mom and dad, you can count on them and they're, they're going to be there. And I think in order for you to be someone who can be counted upon or reliable, you have to be willing to sacrifice. It can't be a matter of convenience. You know, you can count on me when it, you know, it's convenient for me. That's not, yeah. that's not, that's not being a person you can be counted on. And I think that's something that, you know, I have to constantly remind myself that it's a, it's, there's an element of sacrifice that I'm going to have to be willing to make so that my kids know they can count on me, but also they have to make a sacrifice for them to be able to count on each other. An example I was thinking of is recently, you know, you both know this, but the listeners probably obviously don't. I, I, we just lost my mother-in-law just a couple of weeks ago. So my kid's grandmother, it was very sad. It was very sudden. And she lived in a different state. So I was with my husband in that state being someone he could count on, right? But when we knew that we were going to have to let her go, because she was, she was, you know, 
sedated and, and, and was ventilated and we were going to have to let her go. I knew that I needed to be the one that told my kids and I need mm-hmm. to do it face to face. So I drove all the way home. As soon as we knew that was the, that was what was going to happen. You know, my, my mother and my sister were taking care of our kids and they're older. So it would have been probably fine if my mom mentioned it to them, she, you know, she could have handled it, but I, I felt in my heart that they needed to be me and my husband needed to stay with his family. So I drove and I got home really, really late. I picked them up from my sister's house. I brought them home. I sat them down and I told them like this really sad news. And then I said, I'm going to stay up with you. And you tonight can be whatever you want. We can watch movies. You can cry. You can go in your room and be by yourself. We could talk about feelings, but whatever you want to do, but I'm going to be here. And as long as you're awake, I'm going to be awake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, there were some tears, there was some talking, and then we just kind of got on the couch in our pajamas and we watched TV together until we fell asleep. But I wanted my kids to know that when it's like that kind of big, big, big news that they can count on me being with them as they process in the way that they need to process and not making it something that had to be convenient for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's really important is that we, when, if we want to, if we want our family to know that they can count on us and want them to become, you know, resources where they can count on each other, they have to learn that it's not about convenience. It's actually about sacrifice and allowing each other the space to be what they need to be. And so it's something we're working on. I think that I struggle sometimes with things being inconvenient because I'm also a perfectionist and I like things to be sort of efficient and, you know, I also don't like things to be uncomfortable. So I kind of can, can, you know, push things along faster what they need to be pushed along, but this is important. I think it's really important that we can count on each other. Yeah. That's good. And, and I think sometimes for me, the temptation is to just take care of what they should be taking care of just because it's easier. It's more efficient. It's definitely a different example than you're providing. I'm thinking of like things that need to be done around the house. When we clean up in the morning, I need, I need the dishes out of the sink and I need the dishes out of the dishwasher so that I can do breakfast dishes. And then if they go to school without doing their chore, then I have no place to put my clean dishes. And then now we've got a, like, there's, I'm trying to teach my kids that we're like cogs, you know, the cogs that go together. And when one turns, the Mm -hmm. other can turn. And how, if, if one is not turning, it causes a backup in the system. So it's kind of an abstract way to to talk about what we're talking about, but like they have a part to play. So like, if my son doesn't dry the dishes and I have nowhere to put my dirty dishes that I desperately want cleaned, then they're going to stack up. And then when they come home from school, we're going to have a mess and I'm going to be agitated. And then we got to cook it. Like if you do what's expected of you in these little things and even do what is expected of you in the big things, then we can, we can support one another and, and make this happen. You know, even in terms of how we we've opened our home up to others, when we host a connect group, we all have a part to play. And I often say to them when we have friends over or family members over, I'm like, 
we can't do this unless everybody pitches in because I can't carry this load on my own. I can't be the only one that's preparing for our guests, cleaning up after our guests. Well, you can host your, you know, your soccer team here, but that means beforehand, I need you to help me tidy up. And then I need you to help me clean up at the end because we're all working together to be this family, to host these people, to serve others. And it we sounds can, to me we like, do it. it sounds like to me, like you're really good at setting clear expectations Mm. And I know you, you mentioned like, um, like a connect group, which I guess is like small group mm-hmm. kind of thing, home group. So do you like legit have them? Go, you're, are you like to one kid, you're going to vacuum, you're making the nacho dip, you're going to make sure the toilet mm-hmm. is clean while mm-hmm. I do this. I mean, I'm just curious. Do you like, do you give them assigned roles? Oh, for sure. And and I would say like, as we segue into what gets in the way of a healthy culture is yeah. not having clear expectations. You know, I, I'm very much, I'm like, okay, Erin, you're going to answer. The- Tune in next week to hear the rest of this conversation as we identify those things that prevent us from having a happy and healthy family culture. If you want to dig deeper into what we've talked about on the podcast each week, check out the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. It's where we hang out with some fabulous women to practice what we've learned. There's also encouragement, group coaching, and incredible resources there too. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose.